I didn't, obviously I didn't prep for this as, as well. <laughs> Do I ever? I think that's, yeah. <laughs> you know. That's awesome. It's, it, no, it's organic, Chris. It's, it's not lack of planning. It's not, it's not fail to plan, plan to fail. It's just right. organic. That's what yeah. the organic. That's, that's right. Um, you know, but, you know, in, in the, in the ethos of the time, I stand behind my decision to not plan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to remain flexible. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I am Chris Lockhart, joined today by Phil Yanoff, Wendy Keen, Oliver Kronk, uh, talking today about um, the, the boom-bust cycle that appears to be in place with regards to talent recruitment, right? And specifically in the consulting business, this idea that you know, business in, in consulting and demand for consulting services seems to be going through the roof um, by some estimates. Uh, you know, uh, business is up, you know, 12 to 20 percent at uh, some of the major firms. And at the same time, we seem to have uh, a real issue finding people to fill a lot of these roles. In fact, um, there was a survey. I'm looking at it over here on the other screen. Right. Uh, two in three consulting firms say they're short staff and one in five are turning down work because they can't find people. Or at least that's what they're claiming the reason is. So with demand growing and it seems nobody available to do the work. The question is, you know, if you're caught up in this, if you're a, a consultant and you know, you're hired out of school during one of these boom phases, um, you know, and at a certain point, the cycle changes and, you know, 10,000 people are let go or whatever it may be. How do you navigate that cycle? What are some things that maybe you can do on that front? So, I, you know, Oliver, I know you've lived this cycle um, in the past with your past experience, as have I. Wanted to get sort of your take on this, and you know, but it, it, first of all, is this really a is this really a problem? We can't find the people because it seems like they'd be out there, right? Uh, yeah, I I, I think it, it doesn't just apply to consulting as well. Right? I think it's it's hitting all walk, walks of life, and there's a whole load of geopolitical kind of reasons why there's a there's a there's a talent issue, um, and you know, you can argue whether there should or shouldn't be, but I think that there genuinely is in certain sectors, right? I think. Certain sectors perhaps haven't been as affected by the seismic sort of forces that that, that COVID has sort of blown through uh, a lot of industries. So some have stayed fairly, you know, fairly uh, sheltered from that. But for the industries that have, you know, tech, consulting, uh, healthcare, you know, sciences, um, hospitality industry, you know, airlines, etc. But the ones that have been affected, either with you know massive demand or, or dips in 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 demand, I, th I think it's 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 caused talent to shift around. Um, and yeah, I, I've lived through this and I think the consulting firms have a number of different tricks up their sleeve now. They're starting to recruit from different places, from different avenues. Um, but I also think talking about the bust piece, when people kind of then get let go, I think people don't tend to struggle to go from consulting firm, particularly big consulting firm, into another role. 
um, you know, it's 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 a it's a good thing to have on the CV, right, and the resume, so people tend to get snipped up. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting one, and I, I personally think part of the answer is to be a little bit more open minded about who you hire and how you hire in the first place. Um, being too choose being too fil- you know, filtering too hard before you've even considered someone, I think, is often uh, the problem. And I, whenever I've built teams. I've always been tried to try to be as open-minded as possible about candidates without you know, trying to kind of park my unconscious biases or conscious biases and just assess candidates based on merit and what they're really like as a human being rather than do they have XYZ qualification or you know this sort of background. So yeah, that's that's what my take on this. A year ago, everyone was looking for work. Everyone was out there looking for work. And now it's like, I, where are those people? Are they still out there? Did they get hired? Now we can't find anybody. I mean, part the other bit of this is what are they calling it? The great resignation. Is that a term anyone's heard or did I make that up? Great resignation rooted in the great discontent in the workplace. Work environment, right? Um, Issues with corporate culture and like, I don't have to work at at PwCs of the world and be treated like a cog in the wheel anymore. I can go and do whatever I want to do. But but do you, Chris, do you think this is a lot of tension that's kind of had to stay stuck? Because everyone's been nervous about the uncertainty, and now there is perhaps more certainty, and and, and things are upticking, or hopefully generally going yeah, upwards. All of a sudden, that that is releasing, and and that that pressure, and people are now going. Do you know what? I am now going to be braver. I'm now going to go and stop doing this job I don't want to do. I'm going to I'm going to find something new. I certainly think that seems to be a theme from my perspective. right. But I mean, when you when you have McDonald's can't find anybody, so mm-hmm. they're resorting to robots. Now that might be because they don't pay enough or whatever, or it's a shit job, whatever it might be, right? From that end of the spectrum to McKinsey can't find anybody, right? And that's that's a place people historically have wanted to go because it's a prestige thing, and it's all. So you know, is it is it just you know to your point, is this uh, like a rubber band that's snapped kind of thing, or is it you know it was really like this for the past fifteen years, and it was the pandemic that that broke broke that and shook it loose like an earthquake. I think there's a bit of a perfect storm going on because I think you've got to look at both the, the the US and the UK and probably other European countries' immigration policy as well, right? Now, certainly in the UK, a big part of our problem is we can't get skilled, semi-skilled professional workers because, surprise, surprise, we cut off a large percentage of who was coming to do those jobs, as in EU workers. You know, a lot of them have gone and, and they certainly are, if they are interested in going through the visa process, you know, it, it's it's far fewer than it was before, and so we have it's affecting all sectors because people have through the pandemic have, as you've said, Chris, they've they've looked at other options, particularly ones that were perhaps faring better during the pandemic. So a lot of hospitality workers are now delivery drivers because they don't have to deal with the general public and how rude they are and all that sort of stuff, and they actually get a better, more secure job. So you know, a lot of pub owners I've spoken to and restaurant owners really struggling. So the services industry, hospitality industry, is really interesting. And I guess it's filtering its way all the way through. Like you say, people are taking stock. This has been a real reboot moment, hasn't it, for everyone? I think everyone's kind of gone, Do you know what? What's important to me? Well, it's, it's actually this. It's not commuting. It's not that. It's something different. And I think it's, as you say, it's a, it's a bit of a, a seismic shift in, uh, in the working world. Okay. I get why McDonald's and restaurants and service workers, blah, 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 you know, so the question I think is on the consulting side, is this real? I mean, is that in fact what's really going on that they're having to turn away work or is it just the normal amount of work they'd always turn away? And 
Is it, in fact, because you can't find staff or is it, once again, them trying to apply pressure to immigration policy? Mm. I mean, well, if, I were, if I were one of the big firms, one of the things I'd want to do is be able to, you know, bring in more talent as I sure. to do this. And one of the ways I do that is to influence policy decisions for immigration and, policy. And I mean, you know, because that's, let's be honest, right? That's one way to fill that need. I think right. a larger question, at least here, is why don't we have those skills we have 340 million people in this country. What how, you're telling me? Who sat home with Lynda.com for 18 months? I mean, what the hell, right? I mean, <laughs> I could have I could have just done the LinkedIn learning crap and gotten this taken care of. Let me tell you, I do not see on my calls. I mean, I, I have certainly I, I see lots of people hiring. And, you know, the calls our calls are pretty well populated. I see a bunch of people on these calls. Um, I see people looking for work. Um, I don't see, uh, I, I don't, I just don't understand how someone could say they don't have, they can't get the talent they want. There are people out there looking for jobs that are qualified. So, I mean, with some really interesting skills. And, that, you know, just to reference the stuff that's on the LinkedIn, there's some real bullshit responses in that thread, by the way. I mean, uh, it, there may be, this may be a thing, but I mean, and I'm sorry, just to kind of convert that back from French to English, the um, some of the responses, right, are, I mean, this is just these people have got some beliefs in here that just are not sustainable, right? They're, un, you know, unsupported beliefs. And there are folks in here saying, yeah, clearly I'm being turned over because I'm too old. Uh, I hear that all the time. And it's almost always hooey or mm -hmm. in Oliver speak, cod swallop. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How about the one like, you know, I, I don't have a Harvard business degree, so therefore that's why I was overlooked for this job. Do you think well, that there's some dude who's not look who is only going to do that? And I get that. I mean, you know, I, I was looking at some job description this morning, which was just a, kind of an entry level, not really. I, I mean, a kind of a low level sales position. And it said college degree and four years of experience. I'm going, oh, my God, you got to be able to pick up a phone and talk to people for that gig. And I get it. I'd like good people. But I mean, there's just no way that it required those credentials. It's, um I think it's a lazy approximation during the recruitment exactly. process. It's basically, do you know what? I can't be bothered to actually sift or uh, assess someone properly based on them being a human being. I'll assess them based on some random bits of you know, letters they have after their name. Um, and I say Eagle this someone has, only may apply. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I say this with someone with a few letters after their name. But yeah. um, what letters do you have after your name, Oliver? <laughs> are you EDS? Like, I, like, are you an orthodontist? In, on okay. this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dr. Uh, Divinity yeah. on the wall. So, oh, D-Div. I was going to go, I was going to say before I was, you know, rudely interrupted from across the pond. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I actually believe in, it, it, it's cheesy, but in like, you know, the University of Life and Lifelong Learning, learning I, I genuinely think that's what's happened in many organizations is you have too many people that think the same way because they're all degree educated. A lot of them are degree educated. And I actually think the people I've worked with who aren't degree educated, in fact, there's one person I know who decided to go straight into tech out of, out of school, didn't do a degree. He is knocking out the park. He's just incredible. And, you know, has a degree held him back? Not at all. The other example I would give you is the, uh, Deloitte um, started a Bright Starts program. So instead of requiring a university degree, they're hiring straight out of school. 
And again, some of the people that they've hired through that program have just been fantastic. They've not been who you would perhaps traditionally associate with working at Deloitte, but they are fantastic. They are a breath of fresh air because they come in with a completely different mindset and a different work ethic and they work really hard and they're just grafters and they come at it from a different angle. And that's, that's, that was brilliant to see Deloitte doing that. And I think other, the other firms are doing it as well. I want to get in a plug for Billy's, uh, Billy's Chowder House, just off Route 1 near Kittery, Maine. Really? <laughs> do, do, they, do they give you some substantial discount or something? No, no, I just have this coffee cup. And every time I bring it out, I feel like it's an advert. I think people are, are going back to work and ch- making different choices, being in the driver's seat a little bit more, right? There's this, um, you know, survey by Gallup out there that talks about the great resignation being underpinned by the great discontent. So workplace issues are underpinning, I think, a lot of people's choices. And so they may be making entirely different choices, right? It's not just all, here's the pool of people that are waiting to go back and then they're going back in different places. We're just doing different stuff. Um, you know, I think for people who, you know, if I put myself in in the position of a consultant and thinking about how we navigate things like this, I think part of it's being flexible. I remember uh, losing job way back when I won't date myself, but like for me, it was easier to get a job as a contractor than find an employee. So I flex or maybe this time also, um, has us rethink the companies we work for. Maybe there are smaller or mid-sized consulting firms that handle demand different, handle clients different. So even that potentially could be leading to some different choices. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting bit, right? Like, you know, maybe a side gig is is a good way to sort of even out the the booms and and busts. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Phil, you deal with people looking in the gig industry a lot too. Um, I don't know what your your thoughts might be. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I see, I, I see both lots of demand, but I see lots of people looking for work, right? I mean, there's all our events that we're running every week that I see. I'm jumping into clubhouse rooms where I see a couple of hundred people looking for work at a time, you know, talking about what their credentials are, et cetera. I mean, I think, uh, you know... I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not the guy coming at this from an economic standpoint. I'm just saying when I look around, I see lots of people looking for work. And it seems to me that it's always been a matching market, right? You just have to get those people all connected at the right time. And there have been things that have put friction and kind of disconnected folks inside that space, right? And ability to travel. And I mean, whether that is travel for work or travel for the interview, et cetera. And I think people have tried, you know, are trying to figure those pieces out. Um, but I think there's a lot of people out there and, you know, this might still, you know, I, I think this is probably still a pretty good gig. And the other thing is in this space, it's the, the range of jobs is so wide, right? A lot of places require a lot of on-site time. Some require very little. I mean, you know, I just was talking to a guy this week who said, yeah, our office, big corporate office, global corporation, um, they just said, yeah, indefinitely postponing returning to the office. Just in de- we don't know when that's going to be, and they're in the states. You know, there's there's this sort of other thread. You know, when we talked to Ian a couple of weeks ago, or whenever that was, July, whenever that was, um, a couple episodes ago, I should say. Let me rephrase that. You know, when Check we talked show notes, yeah, <laughs> show notes. Thank you. Uh, I mean, they're over here somewhere. Um, yeah. So you know, when we talked to Ian um, a couple episodes ago. Uh, about you know young people in consulting, you know, is is there is there maybe an element here of, you know, look the pandemic kind of COVID sort of opened up 
you know, new opportunities for people to kind of do entrepreneurial things. Um, and at the same time, you have younger people that maybe aren't willing to wait as long, right? So there's like an impatience factor with like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wait 10 years to become partner at McKinsey when I can go out and you know invent my own unicorn.com and sell it to somebody, right? Is there I, is that an element? I think there's definitely an element of there is a different sort of set of aspirations and drivers for uh, the latest generation coming to the workplace. Um, and I'm, yeah, again, I don't want to sound like an old fart, you know, so, you know, a boring old, old middle age. Now, now I've kind of hit 40, I can kind of put myself in the, you know, I, I can no longer be in denial. I'm definitely in the middle, boring middle age category. But, You're the youngest here. I mean, except for Wendy, who obviously I, 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 is ageless. <laughs> right. I, 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 I like to think I'm young, but I guess my point is, you know, the, 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 the new entrance, and I've actually just been working with some interns, um, you know, some marketing interns at, at my place. And it's just quite interesting to sort of see the difference in uh, in work-life balance. You know, it, it, I, th- I think COVID has also, you know, for new people coming into the workplace, they're coming in with a different sort of reset expectation, I think, on what they want out of a job. And I think McKinsey, sure, it's a very um, bright light to go and work for. Perhaps for, you know, for, for those of us on the call, perhaps that's somewhere we hold in high regard. But perhaps for, 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 a, for a younger worker, it's like, do you know what? How much, how much of my life am I going to have to give away? It, it, you know, it, may, it may be a very exciting, prestigious place, but actually, how you know how much of my social life, how much of my life am I going to have to sort of sacrifice in order to make partner someone like that? Um, and you're right, Chris. Do I want to do all that for a firm? Well, actually, I've got a bunch of great ideas, and I back myself, and I'm going to go out on my own, and I'm going to I'm going to do something. Particularly when you think about you were saying earlier, you know, some service industries perhaps can be roboticized. I would argue that some consulting jobs also can be as well. A lot of controversial statement, (laughs) but you know the the managing director role, right? That could be fully automated. (laughs) Well, that's that you joke, but there are a whole load of things about people whose bosses are now AI. You know, and I have to dig out the article, but you know, it's it's not a million miles away. I know it sounds a bit of science fiction, but you know, some some decision based jobs of data, you know, analysis and decisioning sort of jobs, actually you could argue a better done by someone who doesn't have the human side to, oh, do you know what? I have a preference for, for, um, for Anna and I have a preference for Steve over, the, but actually, if you look at the hard data, maybe John is the one that's doing the better sales uh, role. Or it, it's, I, I kind of jest, I, I, and we're not there quite yet, but there is definitely an element to which consulting is, there's, a, there's, a, there's some grunt pieces of consulting, isn't there? There's like data gathering, data crunching, you know, and doing all that stuff. And a lot of that, I think, can potentially be automated. It's a bit of a taboo topic, and I'm sure it'll it'll get some reactions here. But that's, that's well, no, I, you know, and I think you're right because we could go down the road of look. We have robotic process automation. You know, we mm-hmm. have business process management engines. We have rules engines. We have all these things to automate decision making that used to be done by humans. So I, I get where that's going. And by the way, one of my favorite anecdotes is you know the story of the mid-level consultant who's working on a financial model in Excel. And, you know, the partner says, you know, how much longer will it take for you to finish that? It's like, well, you know, an hour. Well, what if I help you? Well, then it's three hours, right? Nice. Um, so, actual or billable? <laughs> yeah, well, that's 40 hours. That's 40 hours. That's right. Um, yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Wendy. As I say, Alfred, I think this is a really important point and. And I'd like to take it in a different direction as well, not just thinking about automation, but 
in terms of the business model, does it have to be a full-time consultant doing that stuff? Or can we, as a service, right, can we break up those pieces differently? Which also may help, back to one of Phil's points, there's, we, can we have this whole range of jobs where someone who wants to work at home can opt into jobs like that or maybe work on a contract basis, whatever it is. So I think part of the answer to solving this boom and bust on both sides for companies and for the consultants is having different models in place that allow that. Oliver, also, I think your point about um, younger generations is, is spot on. And I think another big driver, workplace, absolutely, and the work-life work balance, but also purpose. You know, working for a really big consulting firm and just contributing to somebody else and that cause, um, I don't think is as meaningful to people. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk a bit about culture, right? Because I think, you know, in part, you know, people are, well, aren't, I'm going to put out a hypothesis here, right? But perhaps, you know, people, younger people are leaving giant accounting firms in part because they feel like a number. Um, they, they feel like, um, you know, maybe the firm is not adhering to its, um, you know, announced ideals, right? And those sorts of things. Um, so there's a cultural aspect here too, right? I mean, who wants to work for a big evil corporation? Probably nobody where you're just a number in a machine, right? Also added to that. Think about the benefits of the mentoring and the and the shadowing that you got when you were in the workplace. In a physical workplace, you had loads of serendipitous opportunities to learn and network and connect. Now, you might as well work for a really small firm because everyone's remote. And actually, the 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 the, the ecosystem and the and the you know the boundary between who's an internal sort of employee and who is a supplier or a, or a partner, uh, and I mean partner in terms of supplier partner rather than, than consulting partner. Has really blurred the line. So actually, if I'm a, if I'm a new entrant into into the world of consulting, would I actually rather go and work for a, for a niche company? And to Chris, to your point, who is all about purpose and is actually maybe about the green economy or, or sustainability, rather than working for the big yeah the big corporate and being lost in the machine at a time actually where I'm not getting the benefit of being part of that big organization. It's almost like a fear of missing out, isn't it? Phil, right? Like this is a great time. We've talked about this a number of times. This is a great disruption, right? A great time of opportunity. And who wants to be lost in a 400,000 person company? Well, I think it depends on where you are in your career, quite frankly. I mean, and there's a couple of reasons people take any job, but I think in the early stages, you should be taking a job. I mean, you're going to earn a paycheck, but you can learn. And I think you should be picking the places you can learn the most, right? Where am I going to hang around high quality people doing really interesting stuff so that I can learn from them and build some great work habits and some great ideas and some great connections. So I, I really think that, you know, if, if, if this is a incredible time because someone took the whole playing field and just shook it up, right? And now it's all like, well, where do I land? Well, guess what? I've got a little bit of control. I mean, maybe not perfect control, but I have more control than I've ever had before because the pieces got shaken out of the slots. And so I might be able to go find myself in a place I wasn't before. I, people, I think it's an interesting spot. So do, do people now, so this, this great reshuffling of the deck, right? Do people know how to take advantage of that? Because, you know, listen, you know, how, um, how would they, we have, we ever taught them to do that, right? I mean, that, 
We, yeah. right? we have this programmatic education system. You will, you will, you will do this. You will, you will go through all this. You will be in the cookie cutter. You will be, it's like Charlie. How, how do you break out of the matrix? Movie? How do you take the blue, the blue pill or the, whatever the, the right pill is to kind of escape the, as you say, the sausage machine that you're on right? and, and find a new path? <laughs> I'm thinking it's is it it's Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton where he gets caught in the machine and he's like rolling around through the do you know what I'm talking about the the talkie back in my day when that you know whatever yeah. um, first movie I ever saw yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was in that movie um, so yeah but I, it's this idea that like they don't know how to take advantage because it's like but I but I went to college I got a four year degree where's my hundred thousand dollar job. I, I, I have a sense that there are some of those people. I think, you know, the really uh, um, entrepreneurial type of people are doing things. And Phil, we know some of those people locally, like doing, you know, when, when there was a shortage of ventilators and a shortage of masks, like, oh, I'm going to put all my makers onto like, you know, manufacturing these things and shipping them out and they ship thousands of them out and that sort of thing. So I think there are those sorts of people, but why can't we find them for the jobs that these companies apparently want to fill? Right. It's, it's kind of, it's bizarre to me. Let me ask you this. Does this give like the employee or the consultant or the worker, right? uh, More, it gives them more leverage, doesn't it? Or does it over, over a company? Uh, I think it depends on how niche your area is and how in demand it is. I think if you are in you know, the semi-skilled space where there's a lot of competition for roles, I don't think it gives you so much control. But I think if you are in some of the roles I talked about earlier that are massively in demand, um, then I think certainly the, the, the power has perhaps shifted. However, my concern is with all, this, all the moving parts moving around, I still don't think it, it still hasn't settled yet. And by that, a big part of that, I mean is what does this mean for working anywhere? If someone can work from anywhere, work remotely, does that no longer mean they have to be in-country or particularly local? And therefore, are you starting to compete globally? So all of a sudden, perhaps, you know, if you're a, if you're a technical consultant within East Coast US, maybe there's a finite pool of you. All of a sudden, if the job market truly goes global and you're now competing against every technical consultant globally, does that actually eventually catch up with you and, and depress your wage or your earning capability down to what it is at a global level? So that is the bit I don't think is quite worked through yet. And I think you know people are still waiting to see how it works. And of course, we've had outsourcing initiatives before, and there's been a bit of a backlash against some of those. So it will be interesting to see which way the pendulum sort of swings on this one. There are there are certain factors, um, you know, to your point, Oliver, if you're niche, you can pave your way a little bit more, but um, within a range, right? So maybe where companies are really hungry now, you can get some more compensation or you can get some more workplace flexibility, but I don't know that it will still fundamentally give you more leverage or change really what that job is. And I don't think we've gone deep enough in experiencing the pandemic and what work's going to look like to, to really change it fully yet. Can, can a, I'm just going to beat up PwC today instead of Deloitte. You're welcome, Oliver. Um, you know, d- does it, can a PwC say to its people that it's bringing in to fill these needs that it has? Um, sorry, we're back on the five-day on-site work week. And you, analyst, will be, you will fly out Sunday night and you will fly home Friday night, like in, in the bad old days, right? Like, can can they afford to do that? Or is there more of a, well, now we're offering flex and you can do this. And well, in, the U- in the UK, they've already come out pretty much and said, this is the end of you know, the old work patterns. Um, most of the big four have come out publicly and said, our employees can work from anywhere. Now, the cynic in me says, 
That's a great piece of PR. The reality on a project is you will work where the project or the client requires you to work. Sure. Um, so, so I think, you know, maybe if you're on the bench or you're training or whatever, then there's some more flexibility there. But I think it's all well and good, you know, saying some of these things. But I think the reality, I, I, I think when things kind of perhaps go back to more normality, I, I, sus- I suspect it will be, it will look more similar. But people's eyes have been opened to a different way. And people will now have got used to the fact consultants don't have to be on site. I mean, to give you a specific of this is for a long time, really high, what was deemed really high risk cybersecurity consulting work, no changes to firewalls, changes to security appliances and policies were deemed on-prem activities only, right? Lots and lots of people have spoken to me about this. Like for the pandemic, I actually had to be in the server room or in the security operating center to make those changes. All of a sudden, we've managed to make a way to make this secure and, and deal with the risks of it and actually do it remotely. So some of this stuff has changed and I'm sure will continue to sort of change, but I think it depends whether the old school mentality kicks in or whether the big firms suffer from a, a lack of new incoming sort of fresh talent and therefore they become more and more old school in their thinking or whether they can truly sort of embrace the, these changes. I think you're old school now, aren't you, Oliver? Did we miss a birthday? <laughs> I'm feeling increasingly old school. Yeah. <laughs> Over the hill, old school. Yeah. Nice. So how do, how do you navigate that if you're, if you're looking for one of these jobs? How do you, as, an, as a potential employee, navigate the bad decisions of your potential employer That's and their right. inability to plan? <laughs> I guess you need better questions during the interview process. All of us should know, right? That I mean, if at some point in your career, you realize, hopefully, and earlier is better, that when you are in that interview process, you are interviewing the company as much as they are interviewing you, right? Absolutely. Um, there are things, you've got things you are trying to get done, I hope. There are things you're trying to learn. There are types of clients you'd like to be in. There are industries you may want to explore. Again, you got to figure out, and you have your own ideas about what work means to you, right? I mean, what is my work pattern going to be as we talked about? Am I on site or am I going to be able to remote? And am I going to be, you know, 20 days on and two days off or how, I mean, how is that piece going to work, right? And how many on days do I have to off days and all that kind of stuff. So I think you have to figure out who you want. To, you have to ask those questions. And I think it's really easy in the beginning part of your career to walk in and not realize I, you don't know anything. Ask, you have to ask all of that stuff. I mean, later on, you know, all of us, if, if any of us were walking into a job interview today, we'd ask all kinds of questions because we have been bit and burned every way imaginable by now, right? Um, I have no idea what you're seen- talking about. No, no, no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Oliver, didn't you say you fell through a trap door one time or something? <laughs> <laughs> Does your now company we're have an I'm not talking yeah. about my career. I'm not talking about my career at all. Oh, no, no, carry on, carry on. He was defenestrated. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow, that yeah. too. We get to work in a French and an Italian term yeah. for being killed or wiped and, out. You know, the defenestration um, of Prague, right? That's so where there's right. a history bit there. Thrown too. out of a window. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, there's all kinds of things that go wrong. And I mean, we see this all the time. You just pull the LinkedIn stuff and you, so you have to figure out those pieces and say, how do you deal with this and how, and find other folks and say what's worked well and what's not worked well. But I do think there's just a ton of opportunity out there. And yes, you know, 
you know, employers always complain that the drought is where they are, right? Oh, we can never find anybody. Well, you could have started sooner. You could have been kept the pot bubbling along the way. I mean, you're a big organization. You're sophisticated. Let's not say at the last moment, I need a VP of X because that just popped up today. No, it was coming. All that was happening. You saw it. The dude announced his retirement nine months ago you know <laughs> there were lots of ways for you to figure it out I, anyway i think this is a good time i think it, it can it feels really weird and i think the thing for us to do in this space or the advice i would give to anybody is say just assume you don't know and play the person who's just going to ask questions this is a good time to be the one who just says i don't know tell me how does that work um so we should we should be perfectly transparent here, right? The the genesis of this discussion was really a LinkedIn post um, by Monica Fike at, um, at, at one of the editors at LinkedIn News, who posted, um, you know, it was called consulting boom and bust, something to that effect, right? And and in this, you know, it's like, it's all, it's all the things that we've been talking about, but the responses, right, in, in the thread are eye-opening to say the least right you got you got it's a rorschach test for what people think is wrong with the world really i mean you know um you know it's you know there's people saying you know these aren't the best firms to work for um you should be uh you know a freelancer you should work at a boutique firm um you know people who are entry level don't have the right skills right it's this whole like you know uh, right I, i just find it interesting because it's that's not where I would have gone. I would have gone with, well, people just don't want to work at these companies. So does that put the onus on the, on the corporate culture to shift a little bit to take, to take into account things that people really care about and not just, you know, um, value signal, you know, with a nice commercial about how great PwC is. It's like, no, 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 live the values. If that's, if that's what you believe is going to attract the talent that you want to have. Cause I, I don't, um, again, yeah, I, don't, I mean, aren't they? Cre- I mean, here's my question. Aren't some of these guys creating opportunity anyway? I mean, it's because it's like you said, as you look at this article and you look at the responses, I mean, some people say, oh, these are terrible places to work. And you can like go to a Harvard Business Review article, which says the exact counterpoints, right? Here are the four best places to work and here's the list or et cetera, or Vault or somebody else is reviewing them. And, and me, and remember, I am the guy who knows that the plural of anecdote is not data, but just this in the past few weeks, I've got a friend who left small business consulting to take on a gig with Cap Gemini. And he is just overwhelmed with the opportunity in that space. He's like, oh my God, there's so many smart people here. And there's a chance for me to work with this team or that team or that team. I mean, and he is a super smart cat in a place. He's just never worked in that environment before. And he's kind of overwhelmed with opportunity. So, I mean, like I said, aren't we all just in different spots? a totally different topic, but what about blaming the client, right? You know, there's this, there's this idea that, you know what, they really don't want to change and people are just fed up with working with clients that really have no interest in changing or following the consultant's advice, right? Or, you know, you, you know, and and you've probably been on these projects where you spend, you know, eight months or whatever doing something. And at the end, it's like, wow, that was really interesting. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Right. And all of that, it's like, what did I just spend all that time doing? Right? Why would I want to do that? I want to do something that has meaningful impact. And maybe that's only possible to do in some of these entrepreneurial things or smaller companies or I don't know, whatever. Right? If you are looking to the outside world to make you happy, 
you are in for disappointment. Yes. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a very that's a very cynical. Uh, was, it, was that was that Marcus Aurelius who said that? I'm, it, I mean, it just you're planning. It's just going to be this. I'm here to work. I do this thing. I'm did this, I'm off to do the thing I was meant to do. But I got all these other things in my life. I just, I mean, I think they're in this space. I understand. I want to do something meaningful. I mean, I always feel like from a value standpoint, for me, I want to do impact. I want to impact others. Right? Those are high value activities for me. Take that small list and see, can I do this here? Are other people doing it there? Can I find someone and, you know, find someone successful and draft them, right? Go with them. And, and as we're saying here, right, individuals should make the choices of a firm for what, whatever, wherever you are at your, your stage and, and what you want to get out of it. And that can really shift over time. But in terms of the, the clients, I, I don't know that I can ever blame clients for anything because as consultants, we're in a position to influence those things. We're, we're in a position to influence everything from the, the conditions that the consultants work in to how they think about business. So, you know, we can and should be shaping that. I think a challenge is obviously managing the demand too. In the pandemic's a great example, like the sort of rubber band of, okay, and now we're ready to go and we need all these people, which again, I think gets back to um, to some of the things we were saying earlier, because um, I think firms need to do a better job of managing the pool. Um, I mean, we've all worked in consulting firms. We know what it's like to keep people warm, but especially if you're laying people off, I mean, can we do a better job of managing the pool so when it's time to hit the button and bring people in, we can do that more easily, right? About the matching. Yeah, I'm curious, Wendy, in your in your own space, I mean, one of the threads of comments that we've seen inside these LinkedIn is they said they felt like consulting firms were valuing margin over other things. And this caused them to be in that place where they were putting people in and taking them out, putting them in and taking them out, basically treating them like cogs because basically they're trying to show a certain revenue uh, or in this case, margin. Um, is that something that you see? Do you think that's one of the things that's causing this problem? Good, good, good question. I actually left a firm for that. Uh, but when I was at that firm, I did everything I could to, um, shelter my team from those dynamics. Um, yeah, I, I, p perhaps there, there, there is some of that, uh, as part of our broader conversation here, you know, people don't want to feel like they're cogs. They have more options. I think they, they will indeed go pursue them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nothing to make you feel like that than being part of a downsizing ring. And, um, I mean, that, pop just like that you realize huh, i guess i wasn't as i mean i, I remember a guy one time and I, I worked with a whole bunch of guys who came out of the ibm consulting side right and so utilization was everything right there right they were talking about how do they get how do they keep people etc but i remember one of the guys what he got let go he said there won't even be a hole in the water it's just i'm just poof i'm gone and that's it and that's the way these things work and he was off to somebody sad. else it is quite yeah. sad though seeing seeing some business units within consulting firms just manage on the numbers you know, and, yeah. and the number one priority is utilization. Are you 80% plus utilized? And if you're not, I, I, I don't care who you are, you're gone. You know, I have seen things be that ruthless. And it's just, yeah. it's sad to me. I mean, I, I, I guess I care as much about what I do as, as the sort of commercial aspect of it. And I know not everyone is like that. So, but I think you've kind of lost the plot a little bit if you are just boiling it down to numbers. Because, you know, this is, these are people we're talking about. They're, they're people with, with, with real lives and, 
that you know, if you just treat them like numbers and you treat them like machines, quite frankly, then why are you surprised when you, they don't feel valued and you haven't invested in them or you haven't sort of looked at how you diversify their, their experience on different projects or different clients so that they are more deployable on, on future engagements? So I, I think the organizations that really just lose the plot and just focus strictly on metrics and, oh, am I, am I projecting in the right way, you know, uh, without thinking about the other aspects of the team and the culture, I think are the ones that are very short-termist and will may have some commercial successes and some margin successes in the short term. And maybe, sure, that'll get you promoted to director or get you promoted to partner. But actually, where, then in a couple of years, when you look around, who is still with you on the journey, you know, or have, right. have, have people fell off because they've realized your game, you're just sweating them for numbers. Well, you know, on, on that thread, right, it's like, just real quick, it's, you know, this whole thing of, you know, maybe the right metric, maybe utilization is important, obviously, you know, you have to make money, but, you know, maybe the other metric they should really be tracking is turnover, right? It's like, you know, if I'm the only guy left of my, you know, starting class after five years, there might be a problem, right, with, with you know, retention, because it's not just talent acquisition, it's also talent retention. You can do the acquisition. You're having a hard time doing the retention, right? And that seems to be a problem. Utilization, I think, is also a challenge in starting to feel slightly irrelevant when value is the measurement stick as well, which again gets to how we shape the deals, right? Because how we shape the deals with clients and we're not just renting people's time will flow through, I think, to happier people. Uh, that's bang on because you're absolutely right. You could have someone who is 90% utilized, but actually if their outcomes on projects and their, and their value is very minimal, then actually it's completely the wrong metric to be measuring in the first place, particularly in an era where perhaps things are moving away from time-based billing to value-based billing. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely bang on, Wendy. Yeah, I, but I spent 100 hours this week on it. Yeah, but it's shit, right? The client hates it. It's, it's so, busy it's, work. It, it's yeah. meaningless. Look at all the slides I created. Yeah, but nobody cares. Yeah. Again, you know, we always try to boil this down to like, you know, can we help somebody, right? That's stuck in this sort of machine, get out of the machine or avoid getting in the machine or do something else. So I kind of want to bring it back and just sort of ask each one of you, like, well, so is, is there like a one takeaway or, you know, a, a thread that you would advise Oliver, if you're talking to people that are entering a firm that you previously worked for um, as a young analyst, do you have any advice for them based on on where we are in the market cycle and, and some of these things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, a few things, but the ones that sort of spring to mind are really understand what you're getting into and why you're, you're doing it, right? So understand the, 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 the business unit, what, you know, what they're driven on, and is that compatible with your... You know, what drives you? You know, if, if you're not a pure numbers person, does it make sense to go into a business unit that may look very prestigious on the CV, but actually, if unless you're planning to make it a short in and out, you know, and then you're going to hop somewhere else, um, it, it, it's kind of thinking about, you know, does do your values match with where you're going? Which is which is you know pretty standard sort of advice for for, for, for someone's career anyway. Um, but the other thing I think is, you know, don't always assume that some other smaller firm. Is going to be it's is going to be easier because actually, um, my experience of working in startups has was that you are expected to be a multidisciplinary one man band, and that can equally be as stressful and difficult and demanding. So, I think it's just sort of about working out what do you have to give, 
Um, does does that kind of match up with what's expected? But also, don't as to your point earlier, don't just get sucked along the factory production line. Is there actually an opportunity to do something different? Can you take your skill set and take it to a different sector or a different type of organization than perhaps you've always thought about? Um, you know, would that be a better better pathway? Particularly if you care about your work life balance or you care about purpose rather than just the bottom line. I think the answer to this is an overall um, answer anyway, which is treat your your career, treat your life as a journey, not a job and a set of jobs, and to be deliberate about it. Um, that can be hard when you're just starting out on your career. So I think there's a matter of of following your bliss and following sort of what 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 interests you and where you enjoy and and keeping making yourself more and more valuable. The more valuable you are, I think the more um, unique skill sets you have, the better you are going to be able to weather these sorts of things. But wherever you are at whatever point in time, whether you want to join a big firm and, and become a partner, do that because you're doing it because you want to be deliberate and that's what you want to do. Um, I think back to that um, amazing um, conversation we had with Ian and I loved how he had all this different experience that I think is going to make him a better consultant or a better whatever he wants to do. And I think building that collection and, and flexing to do different things is, is best overall, but whatever you do, do just be deliberate. Right. Be intentional. Phil. Thoughts? Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, cats. I think you know, cats out there. What are you going to tell the cats? I do know cats out there. And I'm going to say that, uh, you know, Wendy went right where I was going to go with this thing and where I still want to go. And I think it's important. You know, I, I'm reminded of that quote by Alain de Botton that said, marriage is a hopeful, generous, infinitely kind gamble taken by two people who don't know yet who they are or who they might be. And they're binding themselves to a future they cannot conceive of. And they have carefully omitted to investigate. Um, I don't think we know what we're getting into most of the time. Uh, <laughs> we got to get that figured out as we go along. And still talking uh, about marriage or what, what are we talking about? <laughs> you know, uh, getting in and out of a job is a little easier. Um, but the <laughs> idea is to get in and... Uh, figure these things out and say, I'm here to learn. What can I learn? Is this thing serving me and hang out for as long as that can make that work? And then figure, you know, is your journey going to take you someplace else? It's a group of friends. It's a group of uh, co-workers and co-conspirators in your future. And I think you want to be hanging out with the best possible people. And best is whatever that means for you. Here's what I want to talk about here um, real briefly. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Don't do this. That would be my advice, right? Because, you know, this to me is like no different than the cycle that we're talking about. You, you look at, you know, he's trying to get ahead, trying to get ahead, can't get ahead. Things are coming faster than, right? And then what happens? You get sucked into the machine. Right? <laughs> and this, this idea that like, uh, you know, we're not, we're working for companies that don't plan their business cycle um, really effectively. <laughs> this, I think this happened to me once, you know, how do I, how do I avoid doing that? Because that will kill you, right? This, this whole thing of trying to stay ahead or making partner in eight years instead of 10 or whatever, it'll kill you. It really will. I mean, it will impact your health and your relationships and everything. And if you want a family, good luck, right? You might end up with two or three, like most of the partners I know, right? And so, you know, this, this whole idea of like, just trying to keep up, 
is crazy. And, and so I totally endorse this idea of figure out what you want. And we, we do a real piss poor job letting people or educating people on how to figure that out. What do you want out of life? And then how do you go get it? And I think, you know, asking the questions, et cetera, is a good idea. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, it just occurred to me that a, a two on the nose uh, interview question would be to say, at this consulting firm, do the senior partners, adult children still speak to them? Um, <laughs> uh, 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 that, 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 that would be pretty interview uh, terminating, I think, but it would be a great <laughs> question to ask. Yeah. But do you understand yeah. the point? I mean, I mean, we all get the point. We all understand why we can't ask that question. But, you know, the question is, what is it you are, you know, or what is it you're trying to, or would you sacrifice in this? I mean, what is it you want to get? Well, listen, guys, I appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. Um, Wendy, it was great to see you uh, as always. Um, Oliver, good to see you. I'm glad you're back from Wales in one piece. No major accidents, um, biking the, the mountains. Um, did, you, did you learn any like longest words in the English language or anything like that? <laughs> I, I am shamefully bad at being able to speak any kind of Welsh town name. Um, so yeah, I don't even try. Just to stop um, embarrassment. So look, that, that place over there. Phil Yanoff, always good to see you. Um, even close up when you're super close up like that, it's really good to see you also. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Um, so. <laughs> I'm Chris Lockhart. By the way, I've been drinking out of this coffee cup here. This is uh, Billy's Chowder House right off of Route 1, just south of Kennebunkport, Maine. Um, you should try their chowder. They also have Haddock Chowder, which is also quite good. So One day they will pay you for your endorsement. <laughs> keep, keep dreaming until that day, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, I'm Chris Lockhart. We'll see everybody next time.